Take your Bibles and let's go to the book of Micah. We are mining our way through Micah. We have seen some great things about our Savior in this chapter. Amen? We have seen how it was foretold that the everlasting one would humble himself, take on flesh, and be born in Bethlehem. His ministry would be to stand and feed his sheep while we abide in peace. He fulfills this in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And it was foretold how Christ's name would be great unto the ends of the earth. And because Christ is our peace, we saw how we can press on in the face of the enemy when the Assyrians come into our land and tread in our palaces, we can keep pressing on because Christ is our peace. We understand this morning that the will of God does not mean an absence of trouble. Oftentimes when you're in the will of God, you are facing trouble. Amen. Be a pastor and you'll see. Amen. So being in the will of God doesn't mean that we're not going to have any problems. We understand that. But what it does mean, listen... We can have peace through the attacks of the enemy. We have seen how the Lord will raise up shepherds and principal men or church leaders and political leaders along the way that will push back against the tide of the enemy that will bring deliverance to God's people. Those may or may not be righteous political people. God used Cyrus to release the Jews from captivity. And God has used some presidents that may or may not be saved but they have been friends of God's people. And so we thank God for those times, and we are in deep prayer right now. Amen. Anyway, we're going to leave that alone. But God is so good that He raises up folks. Ultimately, the deliverance we have seen foretold of, though, is spiritual deliverance that we experience in Christ. Remember that after Christ began His public ministry, He stood up in the synagogue at Nazareth, and He began to read from the prophet Isaiah which, by the way, is a contemporary of Micah. And he found his place where he was going to read, and the Bible says in Luke 4, 18 and 19, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And it is this message of spiritual deliverance through Christ which we have now been entrusted with. What a huge responsibility we have been given from God. We saw last week how this all began with a remnant of Jacob. With that, let's begin reading. That was all kind of a recap. And I'll do more recap here in a minute. Amen, Lisa? All right, stay with us. Verses 7 through 15, Micah chapter 5. The Bible says, And the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many people as a dew from the Lord, as the showers upon the grass that tarrieth not for man, nor waiteth for the sons of men. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the Gentiles in the midst of many people as a lion, among the beasts of the forest, as a young lion among the flocks of sheep, who if he go through, both treadeth down and teareth in pieces, and none can deliver. Thine hand shall be lifted up upon thine adversaries, and all thine enemies shall be cut off. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord, that I will cut off thy horses out of the midst of thee, and I will destroy thy chariots, and I will cut off thy cities, uh, cut off the cities of thy land, and throw down all thy strongholds, 
And I will cut off witchcrafts out of thine hand, and thou shalt have no more soothsayers. Thy graven images also will I cut off, and thy standing images out of the midst of thee. And thou shalt no more worship the work of thine hands. And I will pluck up thy groves out of the midst of thee. So will I destroy thy cities, and I will execute vengeance and anger and fury upon the heathen, such as they have not heard. Let's pray. Almighty Father, thank you for our Sunday school hour. I pray that you would work throughout the entire building. Thank you for every teacher and every, every hearer this morning. Work in hearts, please. Open our understanding that we might understand the scriptures, and we ask it for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, we considered verse 7 last week, where we saw God would use a small remnant from among the children of Jacob to take the message of Christ's gospel to the world. They would be the ones who would begin the process of propagating the gospel. Christ's name being great into the ends of the earth all started with a remnant that went forth preaching. The emphasis was last week was never doubt God's ability to deliver based upon the numerical size of a remnant. God can deliver however He sees fit. We looked at some verses on that. He can use many, He can use few. It's really up to Him, amen. But He's going to deliver in a way that He gets the glory. And that's the point. So this, this small group, our Lord first called 12 men. He then would add 70 during His ministry. Though there were believers throughout Galilee, the number grew to at least 120 that were gathered in Jerusalem waiting to be endued with power from on high there in the first chapter of the book of Acts. Paul related over in 1 Corinthians 15 that 500 brethren at once saw the Lord, the resurrected Lord, before He had ascended. And Jesus told His followers before He ascended that they were going to be witnesses unto Him beginning in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That sounds an awful lot like Micah 5.3. End of verse 4. There it is. For now he shall be great unto where? The ends of the earth. And what did, what did Jesus say? You're going to be witness unto me, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost. And so it lines up just right here with Micah. With that small remnant, they grew by 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. Whoop! Would y'all be okay if our church swelled to 3,000 plus? I wouldn't know everybody. So what? You don't know them now. Amen. 3,000 were added, and then by the end of Acts chapter 4, another 5,000 were added. In Acts 6, 7, we read how the Word of God increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. We're not even given a number there, but we know for sure that over 8,000 now consisted of that group in Jerusalem, all from the remnant of the children of Jacob. But remember, God didn't want this remnant to stay in Jerusalem. He wanted them to go forth. So He eventually used persecution. Began to scatter believers throughout Judea and Samaria. They were preaching deliverance in Christ. And as persecution increased, they began to scatter even further. The Bible says in Acts eleven nineteen. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenix and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. 
So they were being scattered. They were preaching the word of God. And Saul was that one. Remember, he was leading the persecution against Stephen that day. But then on the road to Damascus, amen, Saul was on his way to persecute more Christians and he met the Lord. Whoop. Got born again. God changed his life. He became the apostle Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. What does Micah say? It's going to be to the ends of the earth. There had to be somebody that would go to the Gentiles. The Lord sent Ananias to help Saul after his conversion, saying in Acts 9.15, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. All the while, God had been dealing with Peter about going to the Gentiles. Peter had the vision up on the roof, remember that? And he ends up going to Cornelius' house the Italian fella. Long story short, he and his house were saved, Acts 10.45. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. And remember, we saw last week how Paul understood that he was in this remnant of Jacob. Romans 9.27, Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. Romans 11.1, 1, I say then, hath God cast away His people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. And then he would say, just a few verses later in Romans 11.5, Even so then at this present time also is there a remnant according to the election of grace. And from this remnant, as foretold through the prophets, the multitude of the Gentiles would be brought in. They would be reached. And in the Gentiles, Christ's name would be great unto the ends of the earth. But it all started with a little remnant. Isn't that amazing? God could call 12 men. And and by the time you get to Acts chapter 17, you know what they're saying about what started back there with a little remnant? He said, these are the ones that turned the world upside down. Man, from 12. And one of them was a devil. It's amazing what God can do if we would just let Him. We need to get out of our own way, I think. It all started with the remnant of the children of Jacob. We saw last week, I'm sorry to recap so long, but it's what I do. We saw last week how this remnant would be in the midst of many people as a dew from the Lord. Showers upon the grass that tarrieth not for man, nor waiteth for the sons of men. If you missed last week, just watch, just listen to it, okay? Because I don't want to recap all of this. But we talked a lot about applying the dew to our lives and, and how that's important for us and how the dew is working unseen in the heart. But once the, once the Word of God begins to work and fully saturate us, it's now manifested outwardly by dew. Amen? And so we've got to have time to let the Word of God work in the heart. And we just need to calm down and stop being so angry in life because the dew forms in the cool. But when we get angry and hot, the Word of God can't work in our life because we're just so mad. So if we just calm down, cool off, things always look different in the morning because the dew has formed and we now have a Word from God. So that's kind of what we talked about in short, but go back and listen if you need to. The end of verse 7, the emphasis there is that the spread of the gospel would not rely upon fleshly power, but upon God's power. There would need to be a continual dependence upon God 
without man's power. You see, we can't save anybody. Amen. We can win them to Christ in that we point them to the one who saves. But we can't do the saving. Just as we cannot cause the dew to form, and I'm talking about climatically. I know we can take a glass of ice water and we can cool that thing around the surface there and get some sweat to form. But I'm talking about what we see out in nature. We can't cause those things. We can't cause the rain to fall. We are dependent upon God to work in bringing that. So are we dependent on God to work in our lives for deliverance. We cannot deliver ourselves. And when we try, we usually end up in trouble. Amen. And so we have to rely on God. And so what we see is the spread of the gospel by the remnant is not reliant upon human power. To kind of understand this, it doesn't make sense that persecution would spread the gospel. You would think it would snuff out the gospel. And yet, God uses persecution to spread the gospel far and wide. Look, don't get all disheartened that things are falling apart. God's at work. God's at work. And so, listen, we can also turn the world upside down. you got to believe that. God works in ways that we don't always understand. All right, let's move on to verse 8 today. I'm sorry that took so long. Verse 8. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the Gentiles in the midst of many people as a lion among the beasts of the forest, as a young lion among the flocks of sheep, who if he go through both treadeth down and teareth in pieces, and none can deliver. Here we find this remnant is bold as a lion as they propagate the gospel. The Bible says in Proverbs 28.1, the righteous are as bold as a lion. And we find this boldness throughout the book of Acts. Let me just give you some short snippets. Acts 6.13, speaking of Stephen, this man ceaseth not to speak. (laughs) He wouldn't shut up. I'm starting to get excited. I don't get to preach this morning, so I might start doing laps in here for Sunday school. He wouldn't shut up. This man ceaseth not to speak. Of course, they misunderstood his message. They say he didn't cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. But you know what? Stephen was preaching with boldness. Acts chapter 16 and verse 20. And it talks about bringing them, Paul and Silas, to the magistrates, saying, these men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city. Now, listen, I'm not saying we're we're going to be abrasive and just purposely beat people over the head and be that stripe of people. I'm not saying that. But wouldn't it be interesting if just by us following God's command to go out and fill Jerusalem with our doctrine that somebody on the city council would say, those folks at Liberty Baptist Tabernacle, they are exceedingly troubling our city. So well, how are we doing that? We're just giving out the Word of God. Amen. Acts 17, 6, they drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city, saying, these that have turned the world upside down, they've come hither also. Acts 21, 28, crying out, men of Israel, help. This is speaking of uh, of Paul. This is the man that teacheth all men everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Acts 22, 22, and they gave him audience, speaking of Paul, and lifted up their voices against him. Listen to what they said about him. Away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. Acts 24, 5. For we have found this man, I love this, a pestilent fellow. You know what they're saying? We, we have found the Apostle Paul to be COVID-19. He is a plague. 
This man is a pestilent fellow, a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Man, these folks were bold. They gave their life as a result. They were bold as a lion everywhere they went. They ceased not to speak. They exceedingly troubled cities. They turned the world upside down. They taught everywhere. In the eyes of the world, they were not fit to live. And they were viewed as a pestilence throughout the world. We haven't seen this kind of boldness from God's children in my lifetime. I wonder if we ever will again. It wasn't enough for us to become as bold as a lion when they legalized abortion. What, what is it going to take? Well, they went ahead and legalized same-sex marriage. We were just content to say, told you so. Told you that was going to happen. When are we going to be bold? We've kicked God out of school, out of government. We drift further and further away from Him as a society. Who knows, maybe that will spur us. We have not been bold as our children have been hijacked by the liberal agenda. It's, it's nearly frightening what our kids are being taught in school today. I mean, immorality at a young age. I don't know if you saw that. I forget which state it was where they, the teachers had given out all these ideas for writing. And there was some sick stuff in there. I mean, it'd be stuff I'd be ashamed to mention in here. Even among adults. Thankfully, parents spoke up, and guess what? They got rid of it. It's amazing what will happen if we will just be bold as a lion. Maybe we're inching closer. I hope so. But you've heard me say before, my concern is that we're going to be more about don't tread on me than we are appealing to heaven. Both were rallying cries back there in the 1700s, but it seems like today we like the idea, don't tread on me. Well, that's fine, but if you don't appeal to heaven, it's one thing to have political deliverance. But it's got to be driven by spiritual deliverance if it's going to make an impact. There will never be lasting political deliverance without the salvation of sinners. Now, ultimately, it's not about political deliverance. Ultimately. We would love to see that. I would. But we ultimately know this world is not our home. This early remnant... What's amazing is they never saw political deliverance. Isn't that amazing? Jesus never took them out from underneath Roman yoke. He never even hinted at it. He said, give to Caesars what's Caesars. And yet, under an oppression and a wickedness like we're just now beginning to see. I mean, you talk about immorality, wickedness. You go to the Roman Empire, it was sick. And under that environment, the gospel spread like fire. Why? Because it's not on human power. It is all because God works through those who will obey Him. It is all Him. They were able to stay bold in the midst of a perverse and crooked nation that would sew them in animal skins and throw them in the dens of lions. Would crucify them that would dip them in pitch and set them on fire. They stay faithful. What does Hebrews say? Not accepting deliverance. 
so that others, I'm adding this, so that others might be delivered. Now, where's our priorities at these days? Now, I want you to notice how verse 8, it stands in contrast to verse 7. In both verses, this remnant of Jacob is said to be in the midst of many people. In verse 7, there is a gentle receiving of the truth. It's as dew. It's as showers. Not a torrent of rain, but the nourishing rain that gives life. It, 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 the dew distills. The showers nourish and heal the land. But in verse 8, this same remnant of Jacob is likened to a lion which treads down, tears in pieces, none can deliver. Verse 7 leads to life. Verse 8 leads to death. Verse 8 speaks of boldness, rebuking wickedness, corruption, and sin. And so we see from verses 7 and 8 that there are times that we are to be gentle and there are times we are to be severe. Jesus showed us both of these things. We are to have gentleness towards those who are seeking God, severity towards those who are rejecting God. Not severity in in being ugly, okay? I'm going to try to go through some verses here to give you a better idea. Paul wrote to... Thessalonians, the, the, the Thessalonians, boy, I tell you, that's tough. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 2.7, but we were gentle among you as a nurse cherisheth her children. He said, we were gentle among you. But to the Corinthians, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 13.2, I told you before and foretell you as if I were present the second time and being absent now, I write to them which heretofore have sinned, and to all other, that if I come again, I will not spare the gentleness and the severity. And there's a balance in all of this that we must find. You've heard me preach on the need for a balance between mercy and truth and law and grace. There's a balance there. There are times to be as gentle as the dew, and there are times to be as bold as a lion. Paul, in bringing others along in the faith, he was gentle, but in dealing with those in sin, he said, I will not spare. So what do we have to do? We have to pray for discernment. Amen? I don't want to be just a bunch of gospel jerks. We need discernment. I believe this prophecy here in Micah 5 likely pictures the contrasted reception of the gospel. Some will receive it and it will bring life. Others will reject it and it will bring death. They'll be torn in pieces. To some, Christ is like the dew. And the showers. To others, Christ is like a tearing lion upon their conscience. Much learning has made you mad, Paul. Shut up. Messing with his conscience. As a roaring lion. You ever hear the phrase, living rent free in his head. Bold as a lion. Simeon put it this way in Luke 2.34. Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. Some would fall, some would rise. Some would have life, some would have death. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 21, 44, And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Paul put it this way in Romans eleven twenty two: 22, 
Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fail severity, but towards thee, goodness. Peter put it this way in 1 Peter 2, 6-8. Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallow, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. You see... Jesus is the great crossroad in your life. Amen. You've heard me say before, He's not a mile marker that you pass along life's journey. He is your fork in the road where you have to make a decision about who Christ is. You have to make that decision. And listen, He's either going to be the dew in your life or He's going to be the lion of the tribe of Judah that will tear in pieces. What's your decision on Christ? Will you receive Him or reject Him? He's either foolishness to you or He's wisdom. Boy, it's foolishness to some people to think, oh, you're telling me God took on flesh and He died from in my sins and all i got to do is believe on Him and I can... That's foolishness to the lost. It doesn't make sense. But for us who are saved, ha, it's the power of God unto salvation. Listen, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1, 23 and 24, but we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews, the stumbling blocks. Unto the Greeks, foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jew and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So as this remnant of Jacob, they were sent out into the world preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They would be nourishing to those who would receive Christ and they would be like a lion not backing down for those who would reject Christ. Man, have we lost our our vision today. They would not back down. Christ is either going to be your peace or your destruction. Nobody wants to hear that message. I know. They haven't wanted to hear it from all the way back in Genesis. Have you accepted Christ? The choice is yours. But listen, I want to tell you this morning, you're making a choice even if you're choosing to be indifferent. Even if you just want to ignore it and pretend it's not there, you've made your choice. He'll either be your hiding place or there'll come a day when you seek to hide from Him. But you won't be able to. You'll call out for the mountains and the rocks to fall upon you. The Bible says in Psalm 2.12, Kiss the Son, lest He be angry. And you perish from the way when His wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in Him. You see the difference? To one, it's gentleness. To the other, it's destruction. Look at verse 9 here. The Bible says, Thine hand shall be lifted upon thine adversaries, and all thine enemies shall be cut off. This is interesting here, and I I wish I had more time to devote to this. Listen, I find this interesting here in verse 9. I don't know if anybody else... You notice how it transitions to thine here? It was talking about a remnant... Uh, Lots of people. Now it goes to the singular. In your King James Bible, when you see ye or you, it starts with a Y, it's plural, it starts with a T, it's singular. And and here it goes to thee. So I wonder, is this remnant that is spoken of, is it a singular people being one in Christ, because we we are one in Christ, that could be it, or is it transitioning to the Messiah? 
We know that Christ so identifies with the local church that he asked Saul, why are you persecuting me? As Paul or Saul was persecuting the church. That may be the emphasis here. Or it could be a reference to Christ's final victory over this world. Either case, I don't believe it affects the outcome because ultimately it is the Lord's hand that is going to do the work. But I think it is something to consider nonetheless. And uh, I'll owe you more time on that. But we know Christ will have the final say in the end. Whoop. He's going to put down all rule and authority. The Bible says over in Revelations 11 that all the kingdoms of this world will become His. Never forget that Jesus always gets the victory. You know what's amazing is Jesus gets the victory so easy. We were just watching something the other day and I told Carson, I said, that's not biblical. Christ didn't have to fight like that. He speaks with the word of His mouth. That's how powerful He is. He can just speak it. A double-edged sword comes out of his mouth and slays. It's not even going to be a contest is what I'm saying. He's going to have the victory. He's going to take vengeance on them that know not God. Psalm 45, 5, Thine arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies, whereby the people fall under thee. Psalm 110, verses 1 and 2, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Boy, just think about that for a minute, would you? Can you imagine the enemies being your footstool? That's what he's going to do, it says. And the enemies will be his footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Listen to this now. This is cool because it kind of sounds like Micah here. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. If this verse in Micah 5.9 is referring to the remnant, then I feel like we got to be careful here and not make this verse say something it doesn't. It doesn't say the enemy will never come against us. In fact, the opposite here is implied. The truth is, we may not always be victorious from an earthly standpoint. I have prayed for abortion to end. I'm sure you have. It's still in effect. But listen, do you have faith that God is at work behind the scenes? Fulfilling His purposes and His plans. Now, this verse, I do think, however, it's dogmatic against the enemies of God. I mean, just look at what it says. The enemy will be cut off. As we preach the gospel, our hand is lifted up against our adversaries spiritually. We cry aloud. We spare not. We lift up our voice like a trumpet. We show people their sins, their transgressions against God. And listen, we might be hated for doing that. But I want you to rest assured that when all is said and done, Christ will cut off His enemies. The enemy may do us harm. And again, I'm just trying to be careful not to make this say what it doesn't. The enemy may do us harm. Therefore, the victory we experience uh, here, it isn't fleshly victory. Listen, your flesh isn't getting any better, okay? Some of you old-timers can say amen. You're not getting victory over your flesh. It is going to take you into the grave. And so anyhow, uh, listen, this isn't talking about that. It's talking about spiritually. You say, but what about verses like Isaiah 54, 17? No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in the judgment shalt thou condemn. 
This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Now, I've heard TV evangelists take that verse and say, boy, you send me your seed money, and listen, nothing's ever going to be formed against you. You're going to prosper. The Bible says in Luke 10, 19, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents, scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall any, by any means hurt you. What is Jesus saying there? It is, how can this be? Luke 21, 17 and 18, But ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but there shall not a hair of your head perish. What do we do with verses like that? It's important we understand that none of this means no harm is ever going to come against us. Jesus was clear that portions of this early remnant, He told them, listen, you're going to be killed for my name's sake. You're going to stand before kings. You're going to be witnesses unto me. And listen, there's going to be people that are going to kill you. Listen to what Jesus said in John 15, 20. Remember that the word I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will persecute you. Are these contradictions in the word of God? Listen, we might be called upon to die for our Lord one day. But I got good news. We're just going home. We're just going home. Listen, though we may die in the flesh, we can't die. What? Isn't that good? Listen, Jesus said, look, not a hair on your head is going to perish. Jesus said, I got this. Even if they take your head off, you're coming home. You're coming home. You're going to be with me. Listen, we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. And though this body will die, unless we're the terminal generation, this body will die and listen, our spirit goes to God. That part of the man that cannot die and cannot sin, it goes to God. Solomon, he spoke about the body dying in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Remember that? He's talking about your eyes giving out, you can't hear, you're scared of heights, you hate children, you, you know, all this stuff. I think it says that actually. I'm putting it in my words. It's like, you know, the grasshoppers annoy me. The kids are starting to wear, you know what I mean? It's like, okay, we've heard enough. We love your kids. We're glad they're here. But anyway, I'm getting off track. Solomon here, he's talking about the body dying. And he talks about all these things happening. But listen to what he says at the end of that conclusion. He says, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. The victory that we have in Christ, it isn't that we're never going to experience the hand of the enemy. I think all of you here today could testify to the fact that, yes, the enemy is at work. But it is through it all that we are ultimately victorious. I love how Paul lays this out. I want you to get this here in Romans 8, 31 through 39. You're familiar with this, but listen. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? We love that part, amen. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Boy, this is great. Listen to what he says. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I know the answer, Paul. But you know what he says? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? But wait a minute. Didn't he start all this off by saying, if God be for us, who can be against us? 
And now he's listening to these seven things. Look, man, you're going to have tribulation, distress, <laughs> persecution. It's going to be fine. <laughs> and he's not done yet. He says, as it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Now Paul's saying, we are, we are more than conquerors. Listen to what he says next. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I find that so fascinating. I don't know that I've ever really paid much attention to what Paul is saying there before, but Paul here, he's saying, look, who can be against us? But then in the same context, he says, all these things are against us. Who can be against us? We, we've got tribulation, we've got distress, we've got sword, we've got famine, we've got persecution. We've got all this stuff going on against us. Who can be against us? Then he says, we're more than conquerors. But then he says, listen, you're going to die. What can separate us from the love of God in Christ? Obviously, death can't. So listen, what I'm trying to say here is, we sometimes get this idea, we read some verses like I was quoting earlier and what we're reading here in Michael, we think, boy, we're just always going to be so victorious in this life and boy, I'm going to send in my money to Pastor Brooks so he can get his own personal jet to fly around the country. And did you see that? Kenneth Copeland, he's asking for another jet because he doesn't want to have to be subject to the, uh, the vaccine mandates and he's, a, he's afraid of the mark of the beast and all this. But anyway, uh, listen, y'all, y'all can give me a jet, amen? And I, and I can pray over something and I can give it to you and tell you, man, nothing's ever going to be, be against you. You're going to prosper. That's not what Jesus is saying. Listen, Jesus said, you live for me, they're going to persecute you. Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And we look at this and we see Paul saying, look, if God is for us, who's against us? We're more than conquerors in Christ. But you're going to go through it. What is Paul saying here? I believe he's saying this. Look, when all is said and done, we're secure. What can separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. Anyway, I believe the emphasis here is speaking about, it, it is not speaking about no physical harm. I believe it's a reminder that in Christ we are secure yes. and that His enemies will be dealt with. Romans 12, 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. Praise the Lord. No. <laughs> vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Actually, it says this. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So listen, church, we just need to be found faithful. We just need to be faithful in lifting up our hand against the enemy in a way that we are giving the Word of God. Let the Word of God do the work. We just give it. We give the Word of God. And then we allow God to cut off enemies how He sees fit. He's going to take care of it all. Well, once again, I thought I was going to get further than we did. Next week, we're going to begin to see how God performs surgery on us in order to get things out of our life that don't belong so that He can get the glory. He says, I'm going to take your horses away, your groves away, your chariots away. I'm going to get the glory. Amen. So until next time, let's pray.